Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And we have a very special guest with us today. Hi, I'm Samantha Grindel. I am a reporter at Insider. So for those of you who don't know, you should, because we posted the article on Instagram and on Twitter and we think it's amazing. So Samantha wrote an article for Insider titled, Gilmore Girls has a problem with Rory's sex life. So um, we're going to get into all of that, but the main Gilmore Girls icebreaker question, I think you know where I'm going with this, is Team Dean, Team Jess, or Team Logan? I have always been and will always be Team Jess. I know he's problematic, as are all of the men on this show. Yeah, exactly. He's one perfect man. Even Marty, Mr. Nice Guy, turns out to be terrible. Yeah. Um, Jess, to me, knows Rory best, wants her to succeed regardless of him in the long run, never doubts her skills as a journalist or who she can be in the world. And she owes a lot of her, well, okay, I take that back, not owes her professional success to him, but he encourages her a lot and I think plays a very significant role in that. So for me, Team Jess. Do you see Jeffrey's face? He's gushing right now. See, I knew I liked her. I knew I liked you. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this endlessly. Have you, um, just to piggyback off that, have you noticed the hate that Team Dean like spews a lot on the interwebs? It does. And I think it's honestly because Dean was deemed Mr. Perfect so long. And now we kind of have new ways of looking at men and kind of the whole um, nice guy thing has been yeah. challenged in recent years. So I think there's kind of renewed feelings about Dean and kind of um, emotionally abusive relationships. I'm not a professional, cannot diagnose Roy and Dean's relationship, but I think there's definitely some problematic things in there that we might not have noticed as early 2000s viewers. Right. So if you don't mind my asking, <laughs> um, when did you first start watching Gilmore Girls? It's a, it's a fun way of me asking you what your age is so we can get the age group. <laughs> sure. Um, I'm 25. Okay. So I started watching Gilmore Girls when I was probably like eight or nine and it would just be on TV. And then I remember really thoroughly watching it when I was like 13. My mom bought us like the big DVD sets because they still sold those. Um, oh, you can we've talked about that a lot. <laughs> I loved, they were so pretty. I loved them. Um, and then rewatched a lot in college and now, and now I kind of watch it all the time as my background noise. So, but I, Gilmore Girls has been part of my life for like 15 years, I would say, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey also recently got in, well, not recently, I wouldn't say, but he, he was late to the Gilmore Girls game. Yeah, I didn't, um, like I didn't watch it as a kid. I only watched it for the first time when I was in college. So mm -hmm. it was interesting for us to discuss together as I was watching for the first time. And she's like, where have you been? This has been like my life forever. And I'm, I just was very late to the party. But I think like, honestly, you probably got more out of it than I did anyway when I was first yeah. watching. So much of it like went over my head. Like, I didn't understand a ton of the innuendo and like the pop culture references. I definitely didn't get because a, a lot of them were like way back in the day. So you're probably way more understanding it. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I kind of seen maybe bits and pieces as a kid, but like you, I didn't I didn't get it at all. So it was probably you're right. It was probably best to watch it when I was a little bit older. Totally. And now we get your fresh perspective. I love it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, so I want to ask you about um what you say in your article about 
being raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. So I was also raised by a single mom. So yeah. we can relate there. <laughs> um, what did the show teach you about your relationship with your mom? Ugh, that's such a good question. Um, well, like Rory, I was really, really close with my mom. My mom wasn't like super young when she had me or anything, but it was just me and my mom and my sister. Um, my dad is in my life and I love him, but it was just more like saw him every other weekend when I was a kid. Yeah, my um, same schedule right here. <laughs> yeah, so day to day, it was just me, my, my mom and my sister. And so much of that closeness I saw mirrored on Gilmore Girls. Um, the way Roy would tell her mom everything. And if she decided not to tell her something, how much anxiety she had about that, how difficult it was when you started growing into a new phase that maybe your mom was worried about. Um, Rory's struggling to decide when she was ready to kind of be intimate with someone and how that affected her relationship with her mom. I really felt compelled by that. Um, and I think watching it just helped me understand how special my relationship with my mom was. Um, and for full context, my, my mom passed away four years ago. Um, and Sorry, so I actually yeah. get a lot out of, thank you. Um, I actually get a lot out of watching it now that I didn't even when I was a kid. Um, and it kind of pulls me back to my mom in a really visceral way, which I'm so grateful for. Um, and I just don't think there's that many representations of a mom and daughter who are friends um, on TV especially when you're that young. So I'm super grateful for it. But also, um, I like that Lorelai does make it clear she's the parent, even though they are best friends. And my mom was always really clear about that too. So just seeing a mom and daughter duo who balance that dynamic, even when it's hard, meant so much to me and still does, even as an adult. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you on the flip side of that, do you think that, um, like watching Gilmore Girls again and again as an adult, do you see like the consequences of being too much of a friend to your parent, like the parent being too much of a friend to the child? Sure. And I think my mom was a little firmer about that than Lorelai was. And probably that had to do with us not being so close in age. Um, but definitely. And I think it was hard when Lorelai did have to be the parent. And I think they often functioned more like sisters until it was time all of a sudden Lorelai had to be the parent. Um, and I definitely see Lorelai do things I wouldn't necessarily do yeah. If and when I become a mother. Um, but good question. I, de I definitely think about it. Great. Um, so let's, let's get into the article. Yes. Um, you wrote it on August 17th of this year. Mm -hmm. um, I came across it because I have a Gilmore Girls alert, of course, <laughs> on my phone, on my Google account, whatever it may be. Um, so I wanted to ask you why why write it in 2020? Was there some, like, what prompted you to write it now? Why now and not, let's say, in 2016 when the revival came out? Was there something in particular that sparked that for you? Sure. Um, well, I was rewatching and I've had more time on my hands because of right. isolating and all of that. Um, but I think also I just never really had a platform to do it before. I've thought about uh, this particular dynamic in terms of Rory's sex life on the show for a few years, but I didn't become a full-time reporter at Insider until um, March of this year. Okay. So this was kind of, I feel like the first chance I had to do it. Um, and I'm actually a lifestyle reporter in my day-to-day. -day. I write about tiny homes and weddings, which is super fun. Um, but your I, articles are amazing. Oh my I, gosh, thank you. No, but I went down the rabbit hole and I'm like, everything's so interesting. <laughs> thank you. I, love I read my all of them. Oh my gosh, you guys, you're making my day. Um, but I just feel so lucky to get to write, write about such fun things all the time. Um, but because Gilmore Girls is so important to me, and 
I just love it so much. Like I won Gilmore Girls trivia back in February before <laughs> the world changed. Um, so I finally was just like, I think about this all the time. I should just pitch it to the entertainment team. And I did and they liked it. So that's kind of how it all came about. But more just having time on my hands to think about it and really put the idea together and having that platform is what led to the publication. Great. So nobody, nobody gave you shit about wanting to write about a show that ended in 2007. No, Courtney uh, LaRocco, who was my editor for the piece, was so excited about it. Um, oh, super excited. Like, everyone was on board. We all love Gilmore Girls. Perfect. Uh, we've talked about that before, like how it's a show that really just transcends time and generations and it can, like, there's still fans today. Well, we're doing this podcast today, right? Yes. It's 2020, so it's still something so big in our lives. Yeah, and I think in some ways, oh, sorry, you go. Oh, I was going to say, I wanted to ask you, um, why, like, why do you personally think the show still, um, like, it's so beloved and, and transcends time in that way? I think a couple of reasons. One, I think the problems they're dealing with are pretty universal. And I really, as an adult, have come to think of Gilmore Girls as, like, a class-based show. Um, and as much as it's about, like, the mother-daughter struggle and all of that, it's also, you know, there's the blue-collar world that Rory and Lorelai live in. And then their other world that is very white collar wealthy. Um, and I think that's more relevant than ever. And you see that popping up in our politics all the time. Um, so I think that's a huge part of it. Second, the characters are so real and enchanting that they're always going to be captivating to me anyway. Um, three, the nostalgia of it is great. Nothing makes me feel like it's fall more than watching Gilmore Girls. Um, and it's cool here in New York now. So I'm excited about that. Um, and for also for me, uh, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel coming out really reignited my love of that quick dialogue, that kind of snappy female character that Amy Sherman Palladino is so good at. So I think all of that combined. But what do you guys think? Yeah, we've talked about this so much. And for me, like you, like I said, I had, I grew up, my mom raised me and my brother. Um, but it was really a show, believe it or not, that my dad and I got into together. Because um, yeah. I don't know, I don't know how far back you've gone in the podcast, you could say zero. But um, <laughs> I also I've talked before about how um, my it was really our show my mine and my father's, um, mm -hmm. because he was very witty and very up on his pop culture and books and movies and all that. So he would often explain the references to me. So I felt like that was our bonding moment. And then when he passed away, um, it was a show that I would always go back to also and like think of him. And I also got to meet Michelle um, Yannick uh, through my dad because he was dating um, his girlfriend. So <laughs> his cousin, sorry, his girlfriend was his cousin. So, I mean, I just have a lot of memories attached to it. And I think that's what a lot of people um, gravitate towards too. Yeah. The memories associated with it. Yeah. I would say like the the pop culture I think definitely helps it transcend through time because like anybody who's more or less an enthusiast of pop culture is like I'm not gonna say enjoy like will automatically enjoy it but they'll find some kind of uh, like connection to it and of course you know white people just kind of gravitate towards white people shows and it's and Gilmore is just kind of that very quick witted white people dynamic kind of thing and so that's i think that's why it's a comfort food show for many because like we've discussed how problematic it can be but at the end of the day it's still so like comforting in the fall when it's cold under a blanket with totally you know, and i think super important 
to criticize the things you love. And I think that's also something I'm grateful for as I watch Gilmore Girls. As an adult, I can criticize how white it is. And I'm really interested in all the TikToks that pop up about that and just that there should have been more diversity and that, you know, like this essay popped up, how a true story sex life. So I totally agree. I actually do want to piggyback off that. I'm so glad we we're talking about it because in the second paragraph of your article, you write, Gilmore Girls mostly holds up with a modern lens. So mostly is the key word here. So is it because, what do you think doesn't hold up? So obviously we've also talked about this. Um, there should be more representation, but what else do you think that the show um, lacks in the year 2020? Um, representation definitely in terms of race. I also think sexuality. There's a lot of um, subtly homophobic jokes on the show. Not a lot, but I've just noticed them a few times. Right. Um, I definitely don't think would or necessarily should be written into a modern show. Um, and then to me, the biggest thing is just kind of the black and white way some of the characters are written. Um, and there's not always that many opportunities for particularly female characters to be dynamic. Right. Um, like I think about Lane in particular, um, you know, she starts off as this really spunky, wants to be a rock star, follow that dream, and she ends up becoming a young mom and kind of having to give up that dream, which absolutely nothing wrong with being a young mom, getting married, like that's a wonderful life, but the show kind of robs Lane of being both of those things, like she has to stay home while Zach gets to go on tour, and I always think that's kind of weird and there probably could have been some other solution especially if it was written more today so I think it's more um just the way some of the characters are simplified and obviously they're real complex people but to me just the I guess a lot of the characters it feels like they can only be one way right if that makes sense yeah absolutely makes complete sense <laughs> um yeah, Jeffrey, go ahead. Sorry, I feel like I'm monopolizing Samantha. <laughs> um, it's a good thing you brought up Lane and the fact that um, she didn't really get to live the life that she wanted because we actually we saw a tweet a couple months ago um, from Mara Wilson on Twitter and she said, you know, Lane Kim deserved her own spinoff where she gets to lead the life she wanted. Yes. And, yeah, and the actress liked the tweet and it like, caused the whole thing in the fandom of like, Lane wants the spinoff, like uh, the actress wants the spinoff. And we think that that would have been an interesting show if it had come to fruition. I would have watched constantly. I would have been <laughs> obsessed. And I did love that in the later seasons, Lane kind of got more and more of her own story arcs. And I loved seeing her relationship with her mom and all of that stuff. So I really wish that would have happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, I think one of the most disappointing parts of the revival for me was Lane's storyline because she is so driven in the original series and she has all these plans like even if you even if you know in your head you know the chance of you becoming a professional musician aren't great you never think that that's where she's gonna end up 15 years later so it's a little bit disappointing and like you said there's nothing wrong with having your kids and being married and whatnot oh. but it's just you grow up with this character having ambition and to see that ambition stifled sometimes it's a little bit of a letdown yeah, and I, I can't, I, to be honest, I've only watched Here in the Life like twice because it upsets me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, is Lane a stay-at-home mom in Here in the Life? I can't remember. Um, she, well, you're kind of led to, well, she's taken over Kim's antiques. Okay. And she raises the kids while Zach, while Zach hates being manager for the roots, which I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, 
think Lane could have been like a music teacher or giving yeah. lessons or taking over Sophie's shop. Like exactly. there's so many other things that she could have done and stayed in Stars Hollow. Like she didn't have to be robbed of that career path. Exactly. Oh, we're so in sync with Samantha. <laughs> I love that we're on the same page. Love it. So we also wanted to talk to you about um, season three, episode 16, called The Big One with Paris's infamous slash iconic meltdown. Um, just the way that in your article you mentioned how that is um, a, a, um, a central example of the, the show's attitude towards girls and, and sexuality. So um, I, for me in particular, when we were wa- when I was watching this episode last week for our analysis, it's funny when you pick up you pick up things you didn't see before when you're looking to analyze, and the way that Lorelai says, you know, I've got the good kid after um, she overhears Paris and Rory's conversation. It's like only when you're looking for it do you really pick up on how they frame that. And mm-hmm. I think that in retrospect, it's a little iffy. What do you think? Yeah, um, and basically the thesis of the article I wrote is that the show repeatedly connects Rory's goodness to her sexual purity, like inherently, and it's a repeated pattern. When she's celibate, she's successful. And I think this outburst of Paris's and Lorelai's response to Rory telling Paris she's still a virgin is kind of the first big example we get out of that. There had been smaller incidents, if you will, like Lorelai freaking out when Rory gets her first kiss, um, if you will. But this to me was the first really big example of that pattern in the show. Um, and I just think it's it's tough. I mean, I think we're meant to understand that Lorelai is responding that way because she was a teen mom. Um, so naturally, she's going to feel worried about Rory entering that phase of her life. But it's also weird because Lorelai should know better than anyone having sex doesn't make you bad. It doesn't make you the bad kid. Um, So I think it's really weird to digest as a modern viewer. And I obviously understand why it was written that way. But to me, it just sets up this pattern that kind of makes Rory uh, in some ways set up to fail because she's a young woman who has clearly expressed interest in the opposite gender. She's going to have sex at some point. And it's indicated that that means she's going to fail. We've talked a lot about how Rory, especially teenage Rory, before she, before the Yale years, we should say, um, has a lot of anxiety surrounding being perfect and not screwing up. And I think that really hinders her ability to grow up properly. Because like you said, it's, it's normal for a teenager to want to have, you know, to be interested in the opposite sex. So this added pressure of not wanting to disappoint her mother, knowing, I think she comes with a lot of baggage. Again, that's us doing analysis. Um, no, but- I mean, and I think that's like why she and Dean break up the first time they break up. She can't tell him that she loves him because she's scared for what that means and will it rob her of her future. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally agree. And I, I think Roy feels so much pressure not to be Lorelai that she simply can't fail. And that gets shoved down her throat. Her grandparents shove it down her throat. Yeah. Um, so boys are kind of a threat, even though it's something she wants and something she likes. So they, they have almost this catastrophic energy in her life from the beginning. So can I ask you then, um, because when I first watched the show, again, when you're coming at it from a different perspective, when you're younger and you don't really get it, you're thinking, okay, so Lorelai's coming at it from the perspective of, well, I know what happened when I had sex and I'm just worried because she's a teenager. Fine. 
But then you watch it when I'm 28. So you watch it later and you're like, and she's like, I've got the good kid, but also she's telling her she's going to take her shopping. It's like rewarding you for not having yeah. sex. So what is that reward system? What does that message tell girls really, which is really the core of your article, right? Yeah, I think it sends the message that good girls don't have sex. And if you don't, good things will happen to you. And the biggest reward Rory gets for that is she gets into Harvard and Paris right. doesn't, um, which is devastating. Um, for Paris, obviously, but also is just such a bad message to send because in reality, Rory's letters, like the letters she wrote to get into college or essays, that's what they're called. Um, the essay she wrote to get into college and the interview she did, none of that would have been influenced by her deciding to have sex with Jess at the time because that's who she was dating. Um, so it's just a really weird message and adds this unnecessary level of shame. Um, to the act of sex for Rory, for anyone. And I think they double down on that message when Rory does finally decide to have sex, which I talk about in my piece as well, yeah. um, because she has sex with Dean when he's married. Um, so the act is inherently bad. And then at the same time, she ends up being punished for it professionally because she runs away to Europe with her grandmother for the summer, which makes her behind at the paper. And then the only way she gets out of that pattern is when she breaks things off with Dean and writes her big smash investigation of the Life and Death Brigade, which is awesome and introduces Logan and all of that. But it really sends the message that she's better off if boys aren't in her life, which is such a weird message to send because meanwhile, Lorelai is looking for her partner, right? So mm -hmm. what magic age is the right time to be looking for someone and to be having sex? It's like creates this weird thing that there's some magical right way to do it when there's not. I always go back to like ethnic parents who are like, you can't date, but then you hit a certain age and they're like, why aren't you married? <laughs> <laughs> and it comes back to that. You're just like, when is the appropriate age for me to be interacting with the opposite sex? Somebody tell me. I know, like there's no magic button that's like, okay, now you're at an appropriate age to be having sex. And yet the show acts like there is. And 17 wasn't right, 18, 19 wasn't right, but then, okay, I guess she's 20, so it's fine now. Yeah. I like how in your article you pointed out that um, not even just in particular instances, but like throughout the whole course of the original series and the revival that like Rory's life is in check when she's not dating someone and she's focused on her work and her career, but then when she's in a relationship, no matter which one, somehow her life is a mess. So it's like it correlates being a mess with being in a relationship and not like, you can't have both like you can either have a career and have a steady head on your shoulders or have a man and be a mess exactly and it's like the double bind women are often put in and i think it is almost helpful to see that it's a pattern in the show and not just like a one-off instance because that would be kind of confusing but it really is this message that the writers um sent home throughout the show like there are even examples i didn't get to include in the piece like in the original series finale, Rory and Logan break up. He proposes and she says no. And at the same time, she had been certain she was going to get this job at the New York Times. She rejects this other job yeah. because she's so sure she's going to get it, um, which is a little entitled of Rory as a journalist, I must Absolutely. say. Um, naturally, she does not get the job um, because that's the way these things go. So she kind of doesn't have any idea what's going to happen. But then as soon as she breaks up with Logan, Two days later, she gets this amazing job offer to go work on the Obama campaign trail. And it's like, clearly that if she had agreed to marry Logan and move to San Francisco, she wouldn't have been able to do that. 
And it's, it's frustrating that she can't have both things. Like there has to be ways that women and anyone can have professional and personal success. And for that matter, Logan didn't have that problem. He could have yeah. married Rory and then had his awesome career in Silicon Valley. Like it's frustrating. It's so funny you're bringing up that example because that was the exact example that I thought of when I read the article. Cause I was also seeing a pattern um, and then I was like, yeah, but what about when Rory left Logan and all of a sudden she gets a job? So I'm so glad that you brought it up because it's true. It, it's, you think it's a one-off, but then when you really stop to think about it, you're like, it's, it's, it's really problematic that they keep doing yeah. this to her. I mean, even on smaller scales, like when Rory likes Jess, but they're not together yet and moves back to New York, she all of a sudden decides to skip school and yes. go see him for a day and People have skipped school and nothing tragic has happened, but when Rory does it, she misses her mom's graduation and it's a yeah. whole thing. And it's just, everything is so dramatic when it comes to her love life, it's, it's hard. So on that note, I kind of want to ask you then, because we often see Amy Sherman Palladino as this um, champion of women, um, putting women at the forefront of her stories. So then I want to ask you, what do you think, what do you, it's a bad way to ask this, but what do you think her beef is with Rory? <laughs> like, hmm, that's hard. That's yeah. hard. It's, it's difficult to try and guess what she's thinking as she writes these things. Yeah. I would guess she, as the writer, was probably more focused on the tension between Rory and Lorelai mm -hmm. and Rory being kind of the spitting image of her mom and making similar mistakes to her. And I empathize with that. Like, I get told all the time by my family members how much I'm like my mom and that makes me scared I'm gonna make similar mistakes that she made and my mom was wonderful and led a great life but I don't want to do everything she did mm -hmm. um so I think it made sense to write that into the show but it was definitely reductive and I also say my piece undermines Lorelai's character arc because she has this potential to be this incredible role model for women that let's say you do get pregnant as a teenager. That's not the end of your life. You can have a wonderful life. I think in the first episode, she says like, I am living a very lovely life to her mother. And she is, and she makes clear throughout the show that it is because of the choices she made, not in spite of them um, from my perspective anyway. But then because of Rory's behavior and also the behavior of other women on the show, Lorelai becomes the exception to the rule rather than something all women can aspire to be, um, which is really hard and disappointing because I love Lorelai and want to be like her, but it's, it's almost like we're told she's one in a million and no one can be like her, but how much more empowering would it be if she was someone we could all be? Yeah. Could we say that like Gilmore Girls wants to have its cake and eat it too? Cause like it wants to have this character of Lorelai who, you know, got pregnant as a teenager, but like came through on the other side, like worked hard, like is, a, is living proof that you can make a, mista a mistake like that and still, you know, have a good life in the end. But then also they show Rory and her character is constantly inundated with these like, you know, purity, like purity myths almost about how we have to do, like you have to follow this path to get to that goal and not that, not that path for that goal. So like, do you think that they're trying to have Lorelai as like a beacon of hope, but at the same time, how, how liberating and empowering is that when Rory is stuck in these age old moral panic anxieties around young girls? Absolutely. I think that's a really good way to put it. And also super interesting when you put it in the context of how 
Rory's relationship with her grandparents differentiates from Lorelai's relationship with them. Um, Rory kind of fits in naturally with their world until the whole debacle when she's dropped out, drops out of Yale. Um, but I think we're almost sent the message that if Rory wants to be successful in part of that world, she has to remain pure, whereas Lorelai doesn't care. So she can make choices maybe with more freedom. Um, and I think there are tons of examples from other women on the show that kind of double down on that. Like Madeline and Louise, don't get me started. I love them. They're wonderful characters. But because they are um, intimate with more boys than, say, Paris and Rory, they also have to be dumb. Like, I have no idea why they can't possibly be both. And also, they go to Chilton. They have to be smart to some degree. Um, or else they wouldn't have made it. Yeah, I think we've talked about that before, how it's really frustrating um, that all the girls in Chilton that are not Rory and Paris that are so like intelligent and driven are all like ditzes, like Madeline, Louise, Francie. Like, why can't they be both? <laughs> I don't know. And then, you know, Paris, when Jamie comes into her life, all of a sudden she's late to school and yes. she doesn't oh my God. Know, but, you know, it all comes back to it. And yeah. it, just, they can be both and I want them to be able to be both. Yeah, it's a really, as a, as a woman, and I'm sure you can relate, it's really hard to be told that you have to be so many things, but then when you try, don't even try, you're going to fail. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so hard because it's just, it's all these unrealistic expectations that other people put on you, but then you end up putting on yourself too, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think of in um, the final season of the original show, Paris breaks up with Doyle because she knows she'll compromise her decisions on medical school when it comes to her relationship. And then it ends up working out because he follows her, which is then seen as this very modern choice by him. And he'll do anything for her, which is great. And I love them, but it sucks that Paris couldn't make a decision and want to factor her partner into her relationship yeah. without being seen to like compromise her morals. Yeah. Uh, so we've talked about Paris. We've talked about Lane. What do you think, because we have a lot of thoughts on Suki uh, and Jackson, their whole relationship and their dynamic. What do you think of Suki's character and how she's portrayed? I love Suki. She's one of my favorite characters on the show. I do think that sometimes she's just used as a plot device for Lorelai to have someone to talk to or to uh, kind of bounce ideas off of, which I guess is the function of many a side character in a show. Um, but her relationship with Jackson is pretty interesting because of how traditional it is. And I think it functions in Lorelai's life as one, something she aspires to, but also um, kind of a life that's impossible for her because she already has Rory. And, you know, there's the time when someone is thinking about buying the inn. Um, Lorelai's dad's friend, I think, Mike something. Um, Ooh, and you? I watch it too much, guys. Um, <laughs> but Suki's like, I can't do that. I have small kids. I'm right. pregnant. You can, you can go travel. So I think it, often Suki just functions like as something to bounce off of Lorelai, which is unfortunate because Melissa McCarthy's amazing and also deserves her own spinoff, but she's doing bigger and better things. So we love that for her. Yeah. Um, but I think she is kind of the traditional 
you know, meet a friend in real life. You don't even have to get set up with them. You ask them out. She's just kind of this idyllic love story. And any issues she and Jackson have are so simple and not a big deal, like her accidentally agreeing to four and four or things like that. You know, they're kind of an ideal couple in that way. Can I push back on that a little bit? Um, of course. Or, yeah. <laughs> just um, just because that whole debacle in season seven happened where, um, oopsie, yes. Jackson didn't get a vasectomy and um, didn't tell her. <laughs> so we and I think even in the same way, her telling him to get a vasectomy telling him to get a vasectomy and not speaking to him about it. You know, like both of them had no bodily autonomy in that scenario. So good point. I had forgotten those plot lines. No, it's, it's fine because we, we recently, I don't know, a lot of people got mad at us because we recently said that they're trash because they can't communicate properly. They are though. Like, I'm sorry, they're not a good couple. I just think that that anger that we have towards them stems from their communication issues. Like they don't, totally. They're not very direct with each other. Even the whole moving in together scenario, Jackson's like, oh, well, I'm, my lease is up. And she's like, oh, you should renew it. Instead of him just saying, hey, do you want to move in with me? There's mm-hmm. always that. They, they just don't communicate properly. And I think, yes, while their problems are super simple and cute sometimes, I feel like, I don't know, I get frustrated with them. Totally. But I would say that's more like the traditional couple. Like, right not able to communicate whereas we see Lorelai and Luke who are friends forever and even if it's not always pretty they always tell each other exactly what they think so I still think it works to juxtapose to whatever Lorelai is going through um but I agree with you that they are not perfect as I had previously stated they definitely need communication help and obviously the pregnancy in the end is written in because of um Melissa McCarthy's like real life pregnancy but even so like Suki should not have been telling Jackson to go get a vasectomy without speaking to him about it like and on That's the flip not how side, relationships work. Right. And on the flip side, if you didn't want to get a vasectomy, you tell your wife, I don't want to get a vasectomy. You don't yeah. say, I went to, yeah, I got it. Everything's good. <laughs> yeah, totally. But they, their communication issues are definitely real. And even like, I thought it was weird in when they're having the whole four and four fight where she's like, we're newlyweds. We still get out of bed to brush our teeth in the morning. Like, you guys have been dating for a while before you got married. That's something you should have passed long ago. Because you watch Mrs. Maisel, doesn't it remind you of how the women get out of bed to put their cold cream on? Totally. And then wake up to take it off before their husbands wake up? Totally. And in, you know, the first or second episode, Miss um, Maisel frees herself of that because Joel's gone and right. she you know, doesn't have to do it. And I think that's such an empowering moment on that show. And I'm sure Suki at some point does that. And you kind of see that when she gets pregnant, she kind of loses some of that facade with Jackson, which is weird because their friendship starts in a very like bantery place. And that kind of goes away in some ways once they leave the kitchen. I don't know. Their relationship is a bit puzzling. Yeah. Samantha, can you please tell Jeffrey that he has to watch Mrs. Maisel? You really should. You really (laughs) should. For the familiarity of the pacing of an Amy Sherman Palladino show alone. Okay, I'm really going to watch it now because I was actually considering it even even though like this year at the Emmys, they didn't win very much, but every other year they win everything. And I think it's just, it's time. You're right. I have to watch it. I will say I have not yet watched season three because I I, I know I'm ashamed. I expected more of myself. Um, But seasons one and two, I love. But we, we've also talked about that on the show, how now with, with um, streaming networks, 
um, the fun of television has kind of been zapped out. Because I remember when season three premiered, I couldn't wait and I watched it and I tried to make it last as long as possible. But, you know, it's, it's freaking Mrs. Maisel. You're going to watch it all. I know. So the beauty of television has kind of faded. Um, I know. That's why I get so jazzed that like Netflix has been toying with releasing one episode a week. Yeah. Like yes. Bake Off is released that way, which thank goodness I would speed through it way too fast oh, if yeah. I didn't have to pace myself so I hope that more of that gets brought into different streaming platforms because I agree with you I miss that I love that experience of getting one a week and having to pace it and it's fun especially if you watched Gilmore Girls like when when it was on originally the WB and then the CW you remember at the end you'd always get that next week that clip and you have to like you're like oh who's that who's that what's happening you know like that's that that was television for me you know that and they that, had some drama like would leave you on edge right those freaking promos were so dramatic <laughs> i loved them i know um jeffrey do you have a question or you want me to keep going because i could do this all day <laughs> um i was gonna say that in regards to um our discussion about suki and jackson's relationship um you samantha you had mentioned that um suki and kind of all of lorelei's friends are more or less just this idyllic picture perfect version of life more or less in Connecticut and um, I was thinking that if, if we like pick apart almost any supporting character on Gilmore Girls other than Michelle who we don't really get that much backstory until the revival um, do you think that if we like if we even pick apart the slightest bit it's kind of like they're all just kind of cookie cutter white people problems ish people you know what I mean um I don't know if I could say for every character, but I can definitely think of other examples like that, um, especially when Lorelai interacts with people from her parents' world. Yeah. Um, it's definitely what she could have been. Um, I just did air quotes. People who are listening can't see that, but I did that. Um, <laughs> I think like when she sees people she went to high school with, that's definitely the message we're sent. Or even when she goes to speak at Rory's former high school in Stars Hollow, and then all of those other moms get mad at her for talking about her experience as a teen, it's definitely to juxtapose her. Um, I think it gets a little complicated when you look at like other people's love interests. Like, I don't know that Sherry is necessarily supposed to be some alternate reality version of Lorelai. I think she's more just like an obstacle in her way. And same with Nicole. Um, yeah. And I do think they're given slightly more of their own stories. Like they're both kind of um, career driven in their own rights and have their own issues with their partners and stuff like that. Um, but I think a lot of the random people we come into contact with function that way, especially in Emily and Richard's world. Yeah. For sure. What do you, um, we've talked also about how a lot of people see Sherry as a villain um, and how we don't necessarily agree at the beginning. Like it's definitely terrible that she abandons her child, but that comes later. You know, in the beginning, she's just somebody who fell in love with Christopher, God knows why. But I mean, like, you know, she's not really, it's not her fault, you know, kind of thing. So I think, do you think the show has a problem with making female characters, um, like turning them into villains? 
I don't know if the show does it. I think it's, we're watching the show through Lorelai's perspective, right? right? So to Lorelai, Sherry was always going to be a villain because she wanted to have Christopher waiting in the wings for whenever she was ready and she felt like he was ready for it. Um, And I actually thought Sherry was pretty healthy in terms of boundaries with Lorelai. Like if I was her, I definitely wouldn't want to pressure the mother of my boyfriend's child to be my friend because that's uncomfortable. Like you don't want to have to do that. Um, so I definitely didn't think of Sherry as a villain, but I think we're supposed to be able to see that Lorelai does, even if it's unfair. And Christopher really pushes back on that. He's like, you didn't include Max in my life and you set a wedding date, you know? Can we Um, agree though that it's kind of (laughs) different? It is different for sure. Um, and Christopher doesn't really have ground to stand on when it comes to that. not the... (laughs) <laughs> barely in Rory's life um, and was closer with Rory's grandparents than he was to her, oh honestly. God. It's so annoying. He's very um, Eddie Haskell in that sense, mm-hmm. if you will. Eddie Haskell from uh, Leave it to Beaver. Yeah. That's a dated reference. Um, right. But, you know, very all shiny. Everything's going great in front of Emily and Richard and then tells Laura, Lorelai and Rory the truth that things aren't so great in California. Yeah. Um, before he moves to Boston, which the show pretends is a lot closer to Connecticut than it is. Right? It's really weird. You don't want us to go down the plot hole rabbit hole that we go down sometimes. Like, we should also suspend our disbelief. Oh my God, when we were doing the dance marathon episode, I think uh, we spent a good 40 minutes on like, but why is there no sunlight if it's a 24 hour marathon? And like, why is Dave going to church at like four in the morning? It was just, it was awful. I was like, but that's the problem with analyzing a show. Sometimes you, you think about it too hard in a way that it's not supposed to be thought about and you have to stop. You gotta let it be. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I see your point on Sherry, but I think it's more that as the viewer, we're supposed to understand that Lorelai is going to demonize Sherry no right. matter what. No, that's totally Because um, Rory doesn't really. She's like, she's nice. She's kind of huggy. It's weird. She's my dad's girlfriend. I don't know. But she's yeah. not like, she's the worst. Yeah, no. No, no, I, I get it completely. It's so fair. <laughs> so in Eleni's opinion, Christopher is not a father. He's just, he's just a sperm donor. Mm. What would you say to that? Do you think that he doesn't like actually act as a father to his children? In the way that in the way that we, that you would expect someone to be in their child's life, I I do think he fails a lot. He does better for Gigi after a lot of coaching from Lorelai. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he's just kind of giving her whatever she wants at the beginning. Um, and I am impressed by the way he steps up when he does come into all that money. Um, and I do think in some ways that was just written in to make uh, Lorelai and Christopher force back together. Um, but I don't think he offered day-to-day support in the way he should have at all. I've gotten very candid on this podcast about how, um, like my life and how I know what it's like, well, not me personally, but I know what it is to have one parent be there for you constantly and like take all your, the good and the bad and like do everything that a parent is supposed to do and then have the other parent come in on the weekends and be Mr. Fun Guy and then say, oh, well, we can be a family. Like, you mm-hmm. have no idea what it takes to be a family, right? Lorelai oh, says really? that to him, I think, verbatim. Yeah, she does. So, I mean, I've been very candid with my experiences and why I don't 
think Christopher is a great father and how I, when I see his face, I just get annoyed. Um, but, you know, a lot of my anger also stems from the fact that we've talked about this too, that nobody really calls him out on his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're Except always- for Luke. That's true. <laughs> um, but, you know, Lorelai is always there to kind of pick up the pieces. She went to, she went to be with his girlfriend while she was delivering their baby. I um, know. Boundaries, Lorelai. Boundaries. <laughs> also, that's super weird because at first Sherry's all Miss Boundaries and then she's like, come to my baby shower. Oh my God. And then, come help me give birth. I don't know. That's weird. But anyway, I digress. No, I know. It's just, it's, it's frustrating for me because I guess it's, it hits close to home a little bit. And I've seen it a lot both in my personal life and in my friends' personal lives. So for me, like Christopher's a sore subject. <laughs> no. And I honestly don't think we're given a great role model for a father on the show besides Luke. And I think that's the only reason I'm glad April is introduced into the show at all. Um, is because I do think the show is sorely lacking in a positive father figure. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though like Richard, for example, is a good provider, he offered no emotional support. Um, even And even to Rory, he just kind of gives her whatever she wants. Right. Um, and then Christopher isn't around. Eventually he offers financial support and can be a playmate as Lorelai calls it, but he, he doesn't parent. Right. Um, and then Lane's dad, doesn't even exist until like the last episode of the revival just as like an inside joke. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think the show doesn't really have dads. And then like even Jackson is kind of a bumbling kind of figure and we don't really see him parent much aside from like, turn the TV down, son. Yeah. Um, so I, I think in this show in particular, there wasn't really much of an interest in showing a good dad besides Luke. It kind of who, even, who definitely struggles with Jess when he's trying to be a parent there. Oh, for so. sure. But I think a lot of that, we've talked about that too, stems from the fact that you got this kid who was fully cooked. Sorry, my yeah. But I mean, like, you I haven't know. raised them. He's already a seven, an angry 17-year-old kid, you know? So what are you supposed to do with that? And it kind yeah. of makes me wonder, now that you're saying that there's no real father figures, it kind of makes me wonder what kind of relationships um, the writers had with their fathers. I know. <laughs> It's, I'm interested for sure. And I would say that's different on Maisel. So yeah. I don't know if it's Amy Sherman Palladino directly. We can only speculate. I don't know. Right. Um, but Joel on that show is definitely much more interested in having his kids and yeah. um, that kind of stuff. He has his own problems and all of that. But I, I just do think there's kind of a void of good dads on Gilmore Girls, yeah. which is sad. because There's lots of good dads in the world Absolutely. and lots of bad moms. Absolutely. Jeffrey, you're good. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, um, it's interesting. Like, I had noticed before that, you know, the way that, that Gilmore Girls juxtaposes mothers and fathers is interesting because they want you to obviously favor the relationship that Lorelai and Rory have, even though that is problematic and many other adjectives for a lot of different reasons. Um, but it's, I found it interesting that you said that Luke is more or less the only positive father figure, um, on the show, because even then later when April is introduced and April is so demonized and hated in the Gilmore Girls fandom, it's interesting, it's interesting that you, that you frame him as a, as like a positive role model and father figure, because he also, like, he also doesn't, you know, react very well when April does arrive in regards to his relationship with Lorelai, but it's almost like we're, we're seeing that in real time. And in, instead of 
we're like only recalling Christopher's mistakes. We're like actually seeing Luke figure this out on screen, whereas Christopher just would show up, reference his mistakes and then leave again. Yeah, totally. And I, I also think it's different because he hesitates for a second, but it becomes clear to Luke immediately, like he cannot not be in this kid's life. And he has yeah. a lot of anger towards um, Anna for keeping April from him. And, you know, he's willing to take her to court and fight her um, and even ask Lorelai for help, which he definitely doesn't want to do. Um, but I agree, it is interesting to kind of watch that in real time. Um, and I think we also get those flashbacks with Richard. Um, you kind of see he and Lorelai rehash issues they had. Um, and I guess they have some issues come up in real time on the show, but a lot of it just goes back to the things that happened when she was younger. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good point. I do think that's kind of the only dad we see in real time figuring it out. And he does do the right thing, I think. He always tries to do right by April, even at the expense of his relationship with Lorelai. And I think he could have had both. Um, could you guys still hear me? My Wi-Fi went out for a sec. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> okay, great. So sorry. Oh, you okay. Um, but I lost my train of thought. But I think Luke is kind of the only dad who does right by his kid consistently. Um, and he could have had Lorelai and kept both of them and stuff like that. And I do think Lorelai was a little unfair um, and should have been slightly more patient. Um, but I think Luke could have been a lot more open with her. So that's its whole other can of worms. But yeah. I agree, Luke's the only one we see trying to work through this whole being a dad thing. Yeah. I think that's just an important way to frame it because like I said, in the fandom, April is just this villain apparently, who, even though she's a child who just like was looking for her dad, more or less it's Anna who chose to keep her from Luke. And I'm not, gonna, I'm, yeah. and I'm not trying to say that Anna's a villain either, but just it's interesting how the fandom was so dead set on Luke and Lorelai for good reason, but they were so they were so dead set on that pairing that even now, thirteen years later, they still hate a child, Luke seeking her father. Like, can you really blame her? And Luke tried to figure that out, and with like so little information and so little time. Yeah, and I do think that's interesting about Anna. I think she's one of the only female characters that isn't Rory or Lorelai that is given room to be complex. Yeah. Um, same with Liz. I think like those are two of the only characters I can think of because on the one hand, we're really mad at Anna for keeping April from Luke. But on the other hand, she's so much like Lorelai. We understand why she's so protective of her. And like, she really is a complex human and she definitely pissed me off for lack of a better term um, <laughs> when she was just gonna up and leave and not really consult Luke about it. Um, but I do think she's given room to be more than one thing um, in ways that some of the other female characters aren't. Yeah, for sure. I want to read to you a comment that we got on the Instagram post of your article. Yeah. Um, so somebody wrote, I disagree, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> the only scenes that I know of just, just prove that the guys were the problem. That actually helped me learn that you need to trust people that you're sleeping with. So going off of that, do you think and tell me if I'm off base or whatever. Um, do you think it could have also been not sex was the issue, but the guy she was choosing to have sex with? So she lost her virginity to a married man, right? So Lor she and Lorelai have this big rift and the reason she escapes to Europe is because she needs to 
clear her head from the fact that she potentially, well, she did ruin a marriage kind of thing. So do you think it's the, do you think it's the sex that's the issue? Or do you think it's the guy that she chose to have sex with? I think it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, sure, Rory could have chosen much better. I totally see where that commentary is coming from. Yeah. But that takes Rory's agency out of it. She chooses to have sex with Dean. That is her choice. And she pursues it. There are multiple times that episode she kind of gets him alone. Clearly she wants it to happen. Right. Um, and just kind of blaming it on the guy takes out her character arc, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then the other reason I don't necessarily think that's true is like name a good guy on this show yeah. you know like you can't I mean Luke I guess is as close as we... <laughs> yeah exactly people are complex I don't really think that's most it. people are good or bad um Luke is as close as we get and he and Lorelai mess it up a bunch of times exactly. um and like I mentioned Marty earlier you know he's the good guy who's juxtaposed with Logan when Rory starts falling for him um and I think that's his basic function there. But then later, Marty turns out to be kind of a slime ball. He lies to his girlfriend about not knowing Rory because he's a coward and then hits on her even when he's dating someone. So sure, Rory could have chosen better, but like who? Who yeah. could she have chosen? Uh, by the way, I, I didn't mean to be like, I don't know, like not who, which guy is good. Like I meant in the Oh my show, God, no, of course. What I meant is like, everyone has flaws. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not that married is a flaw, but what I'm saying is like, either their relationship is flawed, you're flawed, they're flawed. Everyone's complex is what I meant to say, so. Yeah, no, certainly. And I think like, there's obviously something to be said for you do need to trust the person you're being intimate with, whether it be a one night stand or yeah. um, a fling or a long-term relationship. Um, but I just think since it is such a pattern in the show, it, it's more complicated than that. And it's such a show focused on the women and the choices they're making that I just, I stand by my point. But it's an interesting point to think about who the guys are and why it turns out this way. So then can I ask you um, about Rory, Rory's character and how, how they make her out to be the cheater all the time? Um, yeah. What is it that, why do you think that they took Rory, who was always such a rule follower and like a straight-laced kid and like always did the right thing and then not once but twice is the other woman? Like what, what do you think all that is about? It's hard. I have a couple thoughts on the matter. Yeah. One, I think the flip side of Rory's Miss Perfect rule follower personality is a kind of a sense of entitlement, not in the same way like Paris might be in terms of being a bit spoiled, but I do think there's so much talk of Rory is special throughout the whole show that that would naturally lead someone to believe I should be able to get what I want. It's the same with the New York Times job. Like she just assumes she's special, special so she's gonna get it. Right. Um, but like, even if you are special and work really hard, you're not always gonna get it. So I think to some degree, that's what happens with Dean. Um, I think she just thinks he's mine and he always was and who cares if he's married i was with him longer right um but then i did i i can't remember where i read it but i read somewhere online i think that in some ways rory's character arc with logan is in some ways supposed to mirror emily and richard because if yeah, we all recall yeah emily yeah. does steal richard away from pennell and lot which exactly. is very dramatic yeah i've read that too <laughs> Yeah, I wish I could remember where. Wh whoever you are that wrote that, 
please let me know. I'll yeah. credit you on Twitter. I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that probably also plays into it as well. But to me, it's the sense of entitlement Roy seems to have. But I don't know. Do you, do you sense that in Roy? What do you think? Yeah, so I think it's both. Uh, we've mm-hmm. talked a lot about before about how when you're obviously made out to be so perfect and there's all this pressure on you, you're bound to fuck up. Sorry, <laughs> you're bound to screw up sometimes. Sorry, we swear a lot and I'm really holding it together. I swear a lot. I'm really fine. <laughs> oh my God, this episode, I'm very impressed with myself. <laughs> um, Please don't feel the need to censor yourself no, on my account. <laughs> It's more like I should really clean up my language today. I swore at work and I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I think um, when you have all this pressure on you, you're bound to screw up and sometimes in a major way and you're, you're also more hard on yourself. So I think a lot of it is that, but yeah, I totally agree with the entitled thing. Like you always get the sense that Dean was mine first and I dated Logan first. And you know, so it's, it's, um, it's kind of juvenile sometimes. Yeah, I mean, and I think you even see that outside of her romantic relationships. Yeah. Like, he gets told she's not a good journalist by one guy and then steals a yacht and doesn't think anything terrible is going to happen. So... Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about that whole happening. And it's just, it's... Entitlement is not even, doesn't even, like, cover it. Like, it's like entitlement times 10. And it only really comes out for the first time I'll say like the first time that we can really recognize it that deep is that time with the yacht and it's just please I no no I can't even it's like it's just very it's very triggering for me it's that it's one of the most insane plot twists of the whole series it's crazy like they couldn't make her I don't know like have her car impounded or something I don't know something a little less dramatic you know what I mean her car was impounded but I mean oh maybe that's what I'm thinking of but I mean like something like she was speeding so much that her car got impounded you know we um we often say on the podcast uh like we'll we'll make reference to something that's coming later in season five and six and we'll be we're not there yet we'll get to that when we get to that you know but I have a feeling that um that and everything leading up to it is going to be a whole discussion. A whole <laughs> different ball game. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> um, so Samantha, I think your article is amazing. Me too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank um, you. Is there anything else that you want to say about it? I know we touched on a lot of things about it and other stuff. Honestly, this conversation was great. We went all around. I do have other questions for you, like some trivia stuff that I want to do with you. <laughs> um, I don't think I I have notes don't worry um I don't think there's anything I wanted to chat about that I didn't get to um I'm glad we talked about the entitlement thing because I wanted to get y'all's take on that I thought that was interesting um but the other big thing is just kind of the the reason I wrote the article is I think if you're a young girl watching the show it can give you really um just kind of a damaging perspective on what happens if you have sex with the wrong person or when you're still in high school or just at a time that maybe wasn't right for you. And like, I hope anyone listening to this, like it's not the end of the world if you're with the wrong person or have sex at a time when maybe someone else wouldn't approve. As long as like you're consenting and you feel good about it and it's with someone who you feel safe with at the time, like it's okay. And that's just my opinion. Like obviously like everyone has their own take on it, but I just would hate for someone to be watching such a wonderful show and get told that they're doing something wrong. Yeah, that's a great message. What 
if you can even say, what is your favorite season of the show? Uh, that's so hard. I know. We're going to ask you some of the questions that we got asked on Instagram and that we still haven't been able to respond to because they're very hard. <laughs> I love it. Um, hmm. I would probably say, can I say more than one? Is that allowed? Is that legal? Um, two and three because of the Rory Jess plot line. So like the episodes where that happens. And then um, I can't remember if it's four or five, the early days of Lorelai and Luke. Um, but whenever, yeah, whenever that is happening, I think it's really sweet and fun. So th those would be my answers, but I love them all. It's very hard to choose. <laughs> Um, another question that we got that to this day, I still cannot respond to, um, our listener Ruby sent it in. She said, would you rather, <laughs> Jeffrey's rolling his eyes because he knows, but would you rather Rory be with Dean or Lorelai end up with Chris? <laughs> See, she's speechless. Look what you've done, Ruby. Look what you've done. Ruby, you have a diabolical mind wherever you are. <laughs> I guess... Lorelai end up with Chris because I think there's some world in which she could be happy with that if okay. he like if they went to couples therapy and he got his stuff together um but I just can't imagine Rory and Dean ever being happy together that's a good answer that's a that's actually really well thought out logical I was just like no <laughs> I, was like, I, I don't again. want that I don't yeah. think that should happen Ruby yeah but wherever you are Ruby <laughs> Yeah. Um, we've also, at the beginning of this podcast journey, we also started uh, what we call our Gilmore Girls Bracket, um, where we pit two um, episodes against each other and we're slowly making our way down. Um, we can share it with you if you'd like, but I want to ask you the final one for our first round uh, was 316, the big one, which we talked about, so it coincides perfectly. And versus 322, those are strings, Pinocchio. So if you remember, it's the season finale of season three. The um, car and Rory makes the deal with her grandparents. Exactly. So which would you say is the better episode? <laughs> Probably the big one. Okay. Because the inn had just burned down and like, that's like, I think I just, there there's so much drama still going on that it pulls me in whereas those are strings pinocchio is more about like tying things up pretty with a bow for the end of the season right. um so i lean more towards the drama personally yes that's a, that's a great answer as somebody who watches too many seasons of rupaul i also live for the drama <laughs> yes so that's all we have for you Thank oh my you gosh so much for this coming has been a blast. this has been so great if ever you want to come back please let us know we've had so much fun literally i would be honored anytime this is the greatest thing ever to get to talk about gilmore girls during the week it's fabulous and you both have such wonderful opinions on the show so thank you um so where can they find you samantha if they want to read about all your great articles that you have to read because they're so good Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so if you go to insider.com slash author slash Samantha dash Grindel, that's me. We'll um, and then also I tweet my articles out a lot. So you can follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Grindel. Um, I, you know, tweet my articles and also random thoughts I have often about Gilmore Girls. One time Lauren Graham favorited my tweets. So that's pretty cool. Oh. 
that's amazing. One time Kiko and Jenna liked one of our tweets and uh, uh, we couldn't just, speak for a week. <laughs> a week. And Jeffrey, I'm going to let you do the honors of where they could find us because I can never remember. <laughs> yes, um, Eleni can never remember our own social media handles. So I'm um, uh, you can find us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast and on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. So once again, thank you so much for coming on. We've always wanted to have guests on and thank you. You've been the best first guest. <laughs> um, I'm literally so honored. This was, again, highlight of a week, month, probably year. So I'm so pleased. Love it. So be safe, everyone. We'll see you soon.